0: Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from his word. Our mission here at FBC Wataga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. Today, we are in John chapter 6, starting in verse 20, Uh, actually verse 22 Kevin uh, last week got he got to preach one of the, the the easy passages. He got to talk about Jesus walking on the water, and that's a fun passage, an exciting passage to preach. This week we're going to be looking at the the most of the rest of John chapter six, and uh, we're going this passage in particular in your Bibles. It may say they have a heading up there called the Bread of Life. This is where Jesus identifies himself as the Bread of Life. I titled the message. Uh, Jesus is life, or another alternate title is Jesus is the only one who satisfies. And you'll see why that is a good working title as we get into the message. The story, our story picks up the day after Jesus walked on the water, which is the day after Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children from the Story: The Feeding of the Five Thousand from the, the message two weeks ago. That's important because what you're going to see here are the crowds. At, when we pick up with today's reading, they are confused. The crowds have been following Jesus. The crowds had followed him up on the side of the mountain where, when he was trying to get away and, and mourn and grieve uh, his friend John the Baptist who had died, and so. Uh, The crowds press in on him. Jesus feeds them all. And then that night, the disciples, there's one boat on that side of the sea. The disciples get in the boat and they leave and they cross the sea. But this crowds knew that Jesus was up on the mountain and didn't get in the boat with the disciples. So they wake up the next morning. They're thinking Jesus is still on their side of the ocean or of the, the sea. But he ain't there. They can't find him. So they start looking for Jesus, trying to figure out where he went. And so they, they eventually, uh, some more boats come to port. They get in those boats, go to the other side. Some of them walk around the, the Sea of Galilee. They end up there on the other side. And they finally find Jesus over there with his disciples, and they can't figure out how he got there. What they don't know is the story that happened in the middle of the night that, that y'all looked at last week. Jesus walked across the water, at least as the storm was coming, his disciples were out in the middle of the sea. He walks on water, comes out there, and gets in the boat with him, and the the crowd missed all of that. So you've had these two huge miracles that took place within the last 24 hours. One of them that the crowds were a witness to, Jesus fed 20,000 people essentially with a couple fish and a few loaves of bread, and then Jesus walks on the water. The disciples alone have seen that miracle, and then this story picks up. And so Uh, Read with me if you have your Bibles. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, John 6, verse 22, down through verse 40. The scripture says, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, kind of. He didn't give them a direct answer. (laughs) He said, truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw signs, because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do that we might see and believe you? This is where it just trips me up. What? They just saw him feed 5,000 men plus women and children with a few fish and loaves of bread. And they're asking for another sign. And then they said, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever go hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But I told you, you've seen me. And you still don't believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose none of those he has given me. But should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up. On the last day. So I want to walk through this with you and just simply ask the first question: what is it that you're looking for in life? Because the the crowds came looking for something that would not satisfy. Initially, they were looking for miracles. Now, Uh, Jesus is going to address that with him here in just a moment. But ultimately, uh, the scripture tells us even before the feeding of the 5,000, a lot of the people were following Jesus. They were coming, looking for him because they'd seen him healing people. They'd seen even Jesus uh, raise someone who was nearly dead. Uh, uh, The mother of this boy thought he was dead at that point. Uh, Jesus was... Causing the blind to see, he's causing the deaf to hear, and Jesus had just raised somebody up that had been paralyzed for 38 years, and so they're seeing these miracles, and so they're following after Jesus, because they've come to see the show. Not because they want to believe, but because for them, it was almost like a circus. They were seeing these incredible things that were amazing to them, And, and, and they were watching with awe, all of the things that Jesus was doing. They were were filling their lives. They were trying to to be satisfied by entertainment. They They were trying to have their lives filled by the entertainment that Jesus could give them. You know, the truth is that many of us go from one thing to the next in life trying to be fulfilled with entertainment. I, you know, this year, I've, I've mentioned to some of y'all, I'm a little burned out on, on sports because of things that happened back in the summer with our professional sports world, even our college sports. And y'all know I've been a huge uh, Texas Longhorn fan, grew up in Austin, Texas, and and, and and loved to watch Longhorn football. I hadn't even watched a Longhorn football game this year, except for one that a friend of mine took me to. I hadn't watched a Cowboy football game. I thought I was Roger Staubach when I was seven, you know. Now, I haven't watched the Cowboy game because I'm so burned down on it. But I tend to, over history, just love sports. One of the things that I've noticed over the last decade or so about our professional sports and even college sports is it's not fulfilling. It doesn't satisfy. I'll give you a, a an example a few years back when Alabama won one of their many national championships now, it's hard to win a national championships in college football it's a lot harder to do it in college football than it is in the pros because there's only one national champion out of 128 teams as opposed to pro football there's 30 teams there's one that will win the super bowl and so Alabama's won their national championship and they're interviewing Nick Saban and they're they're asking him about you know how he feels about it and and you know what his plans are and he was He would say, well, we're going to take tonight to celebrate this win, and tomorrow morning I'll be back in the office getting ready for next year. (laughs) And, and, And there's this huge letdown, first, for the other 127 teams that did not win the national championship, because none of that's ever enough. It doesn't fully satisfy. And then even when you win the big one, you find out that you're not satisfied, and you start looking for the next one. If you don't believe me, look up an interview that 60 Minutes did with Tom Brady after he'd won his third Super Bowl. And in that interview, he talks about how he just found that it was not satisfying. He was still empty. And he was still looking for something in life that he hadn't found yet. You imagine that. Most of us would, would think, man, if I, could, if I could be the star quarterback on the world championship football team and win the, 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 the Super Bowl, that would be the pinnacle of success and satisfaction. He'd won three and was still looking for something in life that could satisfy him. The truth is there is nothing that we can do in this life. No amount of entertainment is going to satisfy a longing that we have in our heart. For a relationship with God. God, who created us, loves us, and desires a relationship with us. And, and, and if we're not looking for something satisfied, they were, for entertainment, they were looking for food. At this point, he tells them, he said, Look, you're not even coming for the signs. You're coming because I gave you something to eat, and you were full. And so they, they were looking to be filled with something physical on the inside. The, the, the miracles couldn't satisfy them. The entertainment couldn't satisfy them. So maybe if they got filled with, with some physical food, some special manna, some special food that God could give them, that, they'd, that emptiness would, would be filled, but it wouldn't satisfy them. And so Jesus goes on to tell them. He says, look, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that has eternal life. Even when they'd eaten the loaves, and their, their belly was filled, they weren't satisfied. They're looking for something that can satisfy their soul, something that can satisfy an emptiness on the inside that entertainment couldn't and, and no physical thing could. Well, what truly satisfies? In verse 27 through 29, he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father set the seal of his approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he has sent. There is nothing that you can do there's no amount of work that you can do to, to be satisfied in this world. There's no amount of work that you can do to earn God's favor. The work of God that matters is believing in the one whom God sent. And Jesus says that that, that bread of life is, 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 a, is a bread that will last forever forever. In verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. What God can place in our soul, what God can give us when he fills us with himself, fills a void that nothing else can fill, and it lasts forever. It lasts for eternity. I've seen this on, on the, the face of, I've seen it many times. One particular lady at, at, at the last church I pastored who loved the Lord, had, and had a she walked with the lord and, and had this really neat relationship with him she when she got cancer and began to to die and, and begin to lose weight toward the end of her life she lost over two years lost probably sixty five to 75% of her body weight. And she literally was just a, a skeleton at that point. And I remember the last time that I saw her alive, went to visit her in her home and she was on one of those hospital beds and she was just a shell. Her body was just a shell of what Mary had been before. But she still glowed and she still had a peace and a joy inside of her. Her soul was filled and satisfied even to the last moment of her life. And see, the truth is we're all going to face challenges. We're all going to go through the valleys. And we certainly, unless Jesus comes back first, at some point we're all going to take our last breath on this earth. The question is going to be, do you have in you what's going to satisfy you during those times? Or is it only when you're on the pinnacle? Is it only when you've won the championship? Is it only when you're on top that you're going to be happy with where you are and satisfied with where you are? Because see, only Christ... Can satisfy that deepest need and that deepest longing that we have deep down inside. One of the most misused verses, misquoted verses by Christians and non-Christians in all of Scripture is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Where where we'll quote it over and over, Through Christ I can do everything, right? You know, that that, the idea that 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 we give ourselves is that somehow we find Strength in Christ that if we wanted to jump off of a building, we could jump off the Empire State Building. But the, that's not the context of the passage. The context of the passage for the Apostle Paul was Paul was telling the flipping church, he said, You know, I've gone through times where I didn't have enough to eat. I have enough food. And, and I've gone through times where I had more than enough to eat, and in all circumstances, I was full, I, I was satisfied, I had joy. There's been times when I didn't have a place to lay my head. There's been, been times when I had plenty and I had more than I, could, I, I needed and it didn't matter because Christ strengthened me in all of those circumstances. So as he strengthened me, I could do all things through Christ. And so the message of that, uh, uh, of that passage, Paul is saying that whether I'm in the valley Whether I'm facing death, whether I've just lost a loved one, or whether I'm on the pinnacle of success, I've been in all of those places. And I found that I can be content in everything because Christ is in me, because I have a relationship with Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the bread of life, that we have contentment, that we have fulfillment, that we are satisfied wherever we are in life because we have him. All life comes from the Father. I love this next section. Because in verse 30, they asked Jesus, well, what signs are we going to do? Are you going to do that we might believe in you? I get a kick out of that. He has just healed a guy in Jerusalem that everybody knew about. Told him to pick up his mat and and walk who had been lame for 38 years. He had just taken a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed 5,000 or more people. And of course, not all the crowd knew this, but he just walked on water across the sea. And they're saying, what sign are you going to give us that we might know? You want to know something? I, I used to think that, you know, if I could live back in Jesus's time, if I could have lived during Bible times and I saw him do the miracle, certainly it would be easier for me to believe. That's just not true. These people saw Him. And I think maybe part of the struggle is, just as Jesus also performed miracles, Jesus also was human. And so they saw him eat, they saw him struggle, they saw him pray, they saw him grieve. They saw him with all of the uh, do everything that, that we as humans do, and, and they could not make that connection somehow that He was also fully God. And so they saw the miracles and still didn't get it, still couldn't believe. And But they ask him, OK, what sign are you going to do? You know, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And they believed that Moses had provided manna for their forefathers in the wilderness. Jesus answers that question. He says, look, Moses didn't give you anything. The manna that came in the wilderness came from God. All life, he goes on to say, comes from God. They were looking to Moses for satisfaction. Oftentimes we look to people in our lives for satisfaction maybe we're we 're looking to a spouse I, you know, this goes back to I remember when I was a, a high school and, and, and younger college growing up, I, part of my thinking was, man, if I can, you know, once I get married, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fulfilled and I can find that right person that I can connect with and, and, and I'm gonna find satisfaction in, in marriage and that's gonna bring fulfillment in my life. You know what the bottom line is, and I tell young couples this, especially when, that, when I do counseling with them now, if you aren't satisfied in life right now, you don't, you're not at peace with your relationship with the Lord and with yourself, marriage is not gonna fix that. It's just going to make it more complicated because ultimately, if you are satisfied in your relationship with Christ and you've taken care of that issue in your life, marriage can be a whole lot more full and it'd be a whole lot more exciting. Susan was in the first service with me and I just mentioned that because, you know, it's not Susan's job to satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. That's what I'm to find in Christ. Christ. And if I'm walking in the right relationship with Christ, and Susan is, our marriage just, it flourishes, and ours has. And I, 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 we have this incredible relationship together, but it's rooted in that relationship with Christ. And without that, you're going to struggle. You, you're not going to find fulfillment that only God can give you in other people. You're not going to find that fulfillment in some kind of leader. You're not going to find that fulfillment in a political figure. You're not going to find it in a Hollywood figure that you're pursuing. You'll only find that kind of fulfillment in Christ. Jesus is the only one, Scripture says, that will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread from God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But I told you, you've seen me, and you still don't believe. See, they're they're like us. They've heard the the news. They've read it. They can look back historically. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. We, we can see him through history and we still don't believe. Jesus tells him, if you don't believe me, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. I can offer you the greatest gift that's ever been offered to man. But if you don't believe it and won't accept it, there's nothing else I can do for you. I remember as a pastor, one of the most frustrating things is counseling people who come to me and say, Pastor, I'm really struggling with this. Would you, you tell me what, what I can do to help me deal with this? So I'll take them to God's word. We'll look at it. And they'll leave, and they don't like what I had to say, so they'll go to somebody else. They'll ask that next pastor or, or, or the next advisor, and he'll tell them the same thing. And then six months later, they come back. They're upset because they're in a mess. I will say, well, did you do what I recommended? No. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you the greatest gift. I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you something that will satisfy your soul, that will fill you. And if you see it and don't believe it, there's nothing else I can do for you. And so Jesus goes on to say there's there's a couple things that come out of that. Belief and trust in Jesus leads to eternal life. Skip down to verse 40 because he summarizes it there. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. God's desire is to have a relationship with you. That's why he sent his Son to die on the cross, to shed his blood for you so that you could have forgiveness of your sins and every single person God desires that you have eternal life. And he offers you that gift of eternal life through Jesus. And Jesus promises, he said, those whom the Father has given me, who I give eternal life, I won't lose them. You you become his adopted child. And even when you mess up after that, you're his. You belong to him and you have everlasting life. That's the story of John. That's the thesis of the Gospel of John that we've looked at from John chapter 20. He's written these stories down so that you might believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that by believing in him, you might have eternal life. That's the theme of John. Christ is offering you the gift of eternal life, something that will satisfy your soul eternally. There's nothing else that can do that. And then he adds to it here in verse 40, because he also offers us something in the days to come. He says, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's not the first time he said in that passage, he said back in verse 39, that those that God has given him, the Father's given him, he's gonna raise up on the last day. I wanna touch on this for just a moment, because the good news is that he hasn't just given us eternal life so that we can float around in some ethereal space in heaven for a long time. I've actually uh, recently done a, a couple funerals, and and, and and I understand there's this secular idea, secular theology out there. And it, it has gotten into the church somehow, that that somehow when, when my loved one dies, they go to be an angel in heaven. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't become angels. Angels are other created beings. They're something else that God created. When your loved one dies, or when I take my last breath on this earth, Scripture says that my soul, my spirit is alive and awakened in the presence of God in heaven. And and that it just gets better than that because all all of y'all, if you happen to be here when I take my last breath, you're going to see the casket and that body get put in the ground. But Jesus, when he died he rose up bodily out of the grave. Jesus isn't floating around in heaven spiritually, Jesus bodily rose up out of the grave and bodily ascended to heaven. And the promise of God's word is one of these days, everyone who believes in him, who put their faith and trust in Christ for eternal life, one of these days they will be bodily resurrected. And some would say, well, why would I wanna come back to this body? Because it's not gonna be exactly this body. Paul explains that he's going to give us a body that won't grow sick, that won't ever die, that, that will live a life eternally God intended us to live. 1 Thessalonians 4 said that there's going to be the sound of a trumpet, and Christ is going to return with the spirits of those who died in him, and their bodies are going to be raised up out of the grave to live forever. He teaches another place that he's going to, uh, on that day, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, where only righteousness will do. There won't be sickness, there won't be death. And so for those who put their faith in Christ, not only do we find satisfaction for our soul today, we find fulfillment to live a life that, that is meaningful and fulfilling today. We find peace and hope even in the deepest, darkest of valleys in the most difficult of times. We find something to look forward to. But he grants us eternal life that just gets better every single moment of every single day. That's the promise of God's word, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, when we partake of him, when we believe in him, and we, we buy into his truth, his word, and we accept him for who he says he is and follow him, our souls are satisfied for life, and our souls are protected from the threat of death. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you are encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged by hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.